we found that 93% of, or 92.7, whatever the exact number was, uh, of freelancers that make over $100,000 a year cite one specific way of, of acquiring clients as their main way of doing it. Uh, and in case you know, you're wondering what that is, it's... Welcome back to the podcast. I'm Owen and I'm your host. In this episode, I sit down with Mitko Karshavsky, who's the host of a top 2% podcast, entrepreneur, and leader in the world of remote work. In this episode, we discuss everything from how he grew his podcast to such a big size to the way that he lives his digital nomad lifestyle. If any of this sounds interesting, remember to subscribe and leave a review on all your podcast platforms. Let's get into the episode. I guess just start with who you are and what you do. Um, yeah, so my name is Mitko Karshavsky, uh, and I do a lot of different things. Um, so I'm a podcaster. I have a podcast called That Remote Life, which is um, a top 2% podcast in, in the world. Uh, and we talk about a lot of things related to the location-dependent lifestyle, remote work, um, how what I'm really fascinated with is this current work revolution we're going through at the moment and how it's going to affect the future, right? And there's so many parts because work is so central to everything that we do. It will have, uh, you know, like a, a huge effect on a lot of different things in our life. And I'm very, very fascinated with that. And so I have discussions with a lot of um, thought leaders and experts and entrepreneurs all about like what's going on in that space. Uh, I also work with clients. Uh, I help them as a, a fractional head of remote, if you've ever heard of that before. So how do you really make uh, a remote work, a remote company function in, in that setting and, and really win in that way. Um, and yeah, I've done a, I've done a bunch of different things. I don't know. I don't know how far down the rabbit hole you want to go. <laughs> yeah, that's perfect. How did you get started in the, the whole world of remote work and I guess digital nomadism? It's a, I don't know that that term is loose, but yeah. how did you get started doing this? It seems like you've been into it for a long time. So when I was, uh, I was originally born in Varna, Bulgaria, uh, in Eastern Europe, and I immigrated with my parents to the United States when I was 10. And 10 is a very strange age to do that because you have, to some extent, like developed your, your you started developing a personality already, right? But um, you're not like older yet it hasn't fully developed and so i kind of came over in this part where like i almost have like two completely separate parts of my life right like one where i was living in bulgaria and then like one where i was growing up in the united states and because of that experience i could never quite like shake off this feeling that the world is really really big and this idea that i would just spend my entire life just living in the united states was just like bizarre like i just could not like there was no world in which i imagined that that would happen right and so i was always looking for something that would like allow me to do that if that makes sense like i was searching for something that would let me do that i just didn't know what it was and after college i got involved in startups so uh, i said i need to be a business owner i'm already like entrepreneurial my dad's an entrepreneur so like it, it's in my blood you know like he passed on the disease to me so to say and uh so I got involved in startups thinking like okay my way of doing that is to like make it big you know make millions of dollars you know sell one of these businesses and move on with my life and through that process of 
kind of being in that world and just like investigating, uh, I stumbled across, and I don't know the exact order here that this happened, but I either heard the term digital nomad on a podcast first and then read the four hour work week or the other way around. I don't really remember. And then the way that I explain it or describe it is that the term digital nomad is almost like a Pandora's box. Like that's the keyword that you need to put into Google. And all of a sudden that all this entire other world appears, right? Like you, you take the blue pill or the red pill, whichever it is, and, and you exit the matrix kind of. And I was like, oh, here we go. This is it, right? This is this is what I've been looking for this entire this entire time. And I just dove in head first. Uh, you know, I said, okay, great. I, I found this thing in a year. I'm going to be a digital nomad. And that's how it happened. Um, the way that I earned what I call like my nomad wings, right, is like my the income that allowed me to do that was I actually started working for, I don't know if you're familiar with the term Amazon FBA, um, but it's no, essentially, okay, so it's a, it's a type of e-commerce business that sells products on Amazon and it allows Amazon to actually fulfill the delivery of those products. So FBA stands for fulfilled by Amazon. And so I started working for this um, really fast growing FBA brand. Uh, and yeah, I was just like their first hire, you know, it was just the two founders and me and, uh, they were just paying me like a thousand bucks a month or something like that. And I was like made, you know what I mean? I'm the wealthiest man in the world. And so that was it. That's awesome. That's super like, I don't know. That's exactly kind of, I feel like what I'm going through, you like find that key term and then you like look that up, you find like. I don't know. I started with uh, Ali Abdal and then I read the four hour work week, went through that. And then I mean, I'm still like early process. Um, but Ollie's like awesome. Little... His, his yeah, stuff right. is, his stuff is awesome. Yeah. That's the one thing that I love about YouTube is you can go back to the first video, right? And isn't that amazing? Like that wasn't a thing before where you were like, Oh, let me see what this person was posting in college or whatever, like, you know, in the nineties, that wasn't a thing, but now you can go back and see, Oh, this guy's just been doing this for like a really long time and putting out awesome content. So yeah, his stuff, his stuff is amazing. Yeah, no, it's so cool to see how people grow over the course of like either like three years or even just like 10 years. Like some of the YouTubers are, have been doing it for such an, I don't know, just such a long time, but you can really like study what they, what they did to, grow and like gain their success on youtube which is really fascinating and it's like not really something that you used to be able to do as easily anyway you know what i mean yeah for I, sure and there's this other uh concept of being an overnight success 10 years in the making right where just you know you people have been putting the hours in and the repetitions and building that muscle and then something happens and they blow up, right? And you're like, oh, look at that person. They're like an overnight success. But you don't see the failures and the lessons and the process that went behind it. Uh, and I think that it is really interesting when you can do that deep dive and be like, oh, okay, they really blew up with this podcast or this YouTube channel or this project. But like, look at the battlefield, right, of, of other projects before that. Yeah, you see all of the, the things that didn't work out for them. And the ratio of things that didn't work out to things that worked is like a hundred to one. Like they have all yeah, these projects. Absolutely. 
I feel like that's a good way for new, newer creators at least to like not get in their head about it and not not give up because there's definitely like a point where you're just creating and no one's watching it like no one is looking at you um but like looking at that stuff kind of just helps to see like everyone's been through that and everyone has has created for an audience of zero yeah i try to think more about it um in terms of making the win not be tied to the result but to the process right so find a way of looking at what you're doing in such a way that just by you going through the process you win right uh because you will develop skills if you go through that and the repetitions themselves are very very important so for me when i started the podcast the thing that i thought about was okay even if this podcast doesn't take off and doesn't become like a you know, something that a lot of people listen to, I will have been in conversations and and get to talk to people that I would not normally get to speak with. And I'm going to try to learn everything that I can from them so that even if I do 100 episodes and no one listens, on the other side of it, I'm st- I've still grown a lot and I can actually use those skills for something else, right? Uh, and especially with like podcasting, like it really develops your ability to communicate. And if you go back to like my first episode, it's not I, I'm I don't communicate as clearly. I'm not able to put as much energy into it. And that's a skill that I've developed over 160 plus episodes at this point. Uh, and so I really that is like my w- really big tip for creators that I think helps a lot because then you tie your win to you continuously doing the thing over and over and over again and that's the win itself and you know creating an audience is just a like a byproduct of that right yeah no that makes sense just like making the process your goal instead of making your goal your goal and i wrote that down because i was like that's such a good um just thing to keep in your head as you're creating content getting the reps in and just building your building your skills and your your knowledge so getting into your podcast a little bit more what was the inspiration behind that and like how did that come about uh i mean i was always attracted to the medium um because like i'm not gonna lie i think uh, like i've always had some ability to communicate like that's always been a thing that i've done I, I do think it has something to do with the fact that I'm an immigrant and I had to kind of like relearn English and like study consciously like, oh, how are these people communicating and, and what jokes do people say that land and so on and so forth. And so I really, really, really enjoy talking to people like I'm 100 percent an extrovert. And like when people ask me, like, what is your dream job? It's like t- to work on cool projects with cool people. Right. And so. When I discovered podcasting, I was like, oh, this is like a hack. This is like a like a cheat sheet, right, of ways to have cool conversations. And so that's why I jumped into it. I was like, this is a cool medium. It's kind of crazy that you can create, like, your own brand and, like, uh, get your ideas out there in, in, in the world. And for me, podcasting just – I just – I thought it was so cool that we could have a conversation, the two of us, and, you know, it was awesome. So, yeah, I just, like, jumped into it, and I had some uh, 
and it wasn't so easy. Like I wasn't just like, okay, I'm starting a podcast today. Uh, there was a lot of this uh, period where I said, I think I want to start a podcast. And that went on for like six months or a year or whatever it was. And I'm very thankful that I have um, two friends and mentors who themselves are very successful podcasters. Um, and uh, they said we were at a conference and they grabbed me and they were like, hey, when are you going to like step up? And, you know, you've been talking about the fact that you want to start a podcast. When are you going to start, you know, when are you going to, you know, kind of like do it? And one of them said, um, I'll be your first guest. And so that was it. That's so nice to have that. Just someone to keep you accountable. Someone to help you, like, I don't know, just make the jump. What was, like, holding you back from just starting it? It was always, like, the thing, right? Like, for me, podcasting was... Well, no matter what projects that I'm working on, like if they fail, podcasting is always the like the big project, right? And so there was this fear of starting something that was that important to me and that I might fail. And then what? Right? It was this sort of like I I almost didn't want to approach this um this goal that I have because I was afraid of failing. Um so it did take a little bit of that like rewiring of you only fail if you quit. Right. And just kind of like keep going. And it's the first thing in my life, to be honest, that I've kept consistent for such a long amount of time. I'm like a very much like a sprinter, like give me something to work on for two months and then I want to go do something else. Uh, but the podcast, I've found a way where because it's something that's so malleable that I can like really adjust and and, and turn in the directions that I'm interested in. Uh, it's something that has been not, you know, it's not like the easiest thing to be consistent about, but it's definitely the thing that I've been the most consistent with. And like, it's worth it. Like there is a lot of benefit that happens on the other side of doing something every single week for a year or two years or whatever. Yeah, that's really awesome. That's exactly what my mentality was when I started. I was like, this is going to be sick. I get to talk to cool people and learn a ton of stuff while also like making a product out of it and like helping people. It's like it's so awesome. It just works right. so well. And it's just like, I don't know. It's a, it's a win-win for like everyone. So you said you kind of like sprint with other project, but podcasting is like your main one. What's like some of the other projects that you have worked on? <laughs> oh man uh i mean like i said i used to be in the like like i got started in the startup space so my very first startup was something called access adventure which was an airbnb like platform for outdoor equipment so you know somebody could come on and and put up their tent and then someone else could come on our platform and actually like rent it from them and uh it, it was a terrible idea, uh, but we did that for like six months. I had a team like we build the whole thing. We try to like get, um, you know, like VCs and that kind of stuff. Uh, I did for a while. I was selling. Um, do you know what an AeroPress is? No. It's this like that? it's a coffee maker. that's very easy to travel with. It's actually really great. Oh, I, I use yeah. it all the time. It's like a, like, like I a do, plunger actually. kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. So for. 
half a year or something. I can't really remember. I was selling, I started making like cases for the AeroPress, like these like really pretty canvas and leather like bags in which you could put in. They had like little slots for everything. So I've done that. Uh, I've done a bunch of stuff, man. It's been, I can't even like remember at this point, but uh, yeah, there's been a, there's been a long winding road of, I used like, I had a business where we were selling yurts for a little bit. If, I don't know if you know what a yurt is. Yeah. Um, yeah, dude, there's, there's a lot of stuff. <laughs> that, that's a, that's a, quite a collection of things. <laughs> it's a variety. Yeah. And like, there's been no, there's been no like home runs, right? Like that's the thing is there's been no, it's just one thing to the next, to the next, to the next. And that's sort of like why I almost say entrepreneurship is this like this disease which you kind of like but it is like a disease like you kind of go through all these things until eventually like hopefully you hit you know you hit a, a home run or or you figure something out and uh yeah it's fun yeah eventually you find something that works like we were talking about earlier you just have all the the failed projects or the things yeah. that you've learned from but <laughs> that's kind of funny what are some like more recent ones that you've worked on? So about a year ago, I started a company called Parable um, with the idea of, do you know what like a Harvard Business Review case study is? Yeah. So we would do my, uh, the whole concept there was, okay, these billion dollar corporations that are used for these case studies are not really all that helpful to people who are like solopreneurs or who are lifestyle business owners who just want to have a small business that gives them like a great income and, and provides like a really great quality of life. And so we started producing these <clears throat> case studies um, of businesses like that. And, you know, again, not a home run. It was something that like kept the lights on for like a year. Um, and it's something that we now transition to. It was more of like a community. So the idea was that you would pay monthly and we would produce these case studies um, but now we transition it to something that's a bit more evergreen. So you can come and <clears throat> the flagship one at the moment that you can go buy right now if you want. It's for freelancers. So we went in there and we spoke with like 20 different freelancers. We, we collected all this data on them. Like literally these people like opened up their like books and said, like, hey, here's how much I make per year. Here's like what I, you know, how I get clients. Here is, you know, how much I spend on different software, all that kind of stuff with the idea of if you're a freelancer that's getting started or even someone who is more experienced, you kind of have a lot of leverage to where like one decision when you look like a large set of data, if you look at it and go, huh, that's really weird that 93% that of freelancers that make over $100,000 a year use a very specific client acquisition strategy that I don't. Right. If you have that sort of data set, you can go, that's like something that I can like I, I can turn on and chances are based on the data, we can really improve the business. And so uh, that's something that I, you know, have been working on most recently um, that, you know, if if that sounds interesting, it's joinparable.com is the uh, the the link that you can go and, and, and get access to that. That sounds awesome. That sounds really valuable for a lot of people. What was like the inspiration behind that? I mean, the inspiration behind it was it, sort of the podcast, but also because like I am a business nerd and it's so interesting to me to talk with these founders and like, oh, that's so cool. Like, how do you do this? And how do you do that? And 
you know, it was a way to formulate and structure those conversations and then sell it to people. So it was both like, yes, I think it's very valuable to look at that, um, especially, you know, looking at one example doesn't really give you enough information because it could just be survivorship bias, right? Like it can be like, well, it worked in this one scenario, but what if you like play it out a hundred different times, right? And so uh, we wanted a way to like just have this conversation for me. It was fun to do it. Uh, but then also it is very valuable, I think, because it was something that was very valuable to me to be able to have these conversations with people. Uh, and I've learned a lot from them and I just wanted to produce it for others. That's really cool. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Um, just like wanting to get that out there because I feel like a lot of people starting out would like really benefit from that. And I feel like a lot of people would also be willing to like pay money because they could potentially help them get their career off the ground and then do something that's like either what they want to do or like better than what they're currently doing which is like that's always good yeah, to help for people me, out like that for me it's also like there are these linchpin moments right where you almost have like i'm not somebody who thinks that there's like a uh, what is like the golden hack? What is like the one thing that you'll tell me that's going to change everything? Because that can be different for everyone. You know, it can like change from person to person because it takes this one piece of information to kind of pull, like to connect the dots, right? From a whole bunch of different things that you've taken in. And so for me, that's why I tell people, for example, like never second guess buying a book. Because a book is what, like 15 bucks or whatever. Kindle is like a $7 kind of buy. And the whole book doesn't have to be incredible. But if there's like one sentence in there that kind of makes you connect a few dots, that $7 can have a huge ROI, right? And so that's how I looked at those case studies was like literally something like the example that I gave, which is like we found that 93% of or 92.7, whatever the exact number was, uh, of freelancers that make over $100,000 a year cite one specific way of, of acquiring clients as their main way of doing it. And then when we looked at people who that wasn't the main way of doing it, it there was like a correlation in terms of like they weren't making $100,000 a year, right? Or there was like a very small percentage of them that, that were. So that's like very interesting because then that right away is like, great, I know that I need to go do that and that, you know, the rest of the case study can be useless to you, but that one specific realization can be really, really valuable. Uh, and in case, you know, you're wondering what that is, it's, uh, it's referrals. So 93% of freelancers that make over $100,000 a year site referrals as their number one client acquisition strategy huh that's really interesting that's not something i would have immediately thought of as like a really important you know what i mean huh yeah but i guess it is <laughs> that's kind of cool that's yeah and like sharing that with like a lot of people would i guess help people to make more money from their freelance businesses but, like, I don't know. That's a very niche thing to, like, be like, I want to do this. But that's awesome. That's really cool. 
So getting back to the uh, the podcast, mm-hmm. how did you like originally find your guests? Because you said that your first guest was someone you knew. How did you find them after that? Just curiosity, you know, networking. Yeah. Like I'm on the internet, someone's posting something interesting. I mean, the same way that you reached out to me, right? You like hit me up in a DM over Twitter. Exact same way. And it's, um, yeah, you know, a lot of people are like concerned about like who want to start a podcast. They're concerned about, well, you know, like I'm just getting started. Like who's going to be on the podcast and you're, you'll be surprised who's willing to talk with you because they're looking for a platform. Right. And they want to, and also like it, people like to have their ego scratched. Like they like to talk about themselves and, uh, you know, it's like, yeah, like I'll come on and, you know, take 30 minutes, an hour to talk about myself. And, you know, especially now the other thing is people realize how important content is. So people will just do podcast episodes because they want the content themselves. Right. So, um, you can, you will be shocked the rooms and the people that you can talk with, even if you're just getting started. Yeah, I totally agree. I've talked to a few people that I was just like, I just sent them a cold DM. I was just like, yo, you want to be on the podcast? And they're just like, yeah, yeah. like someone like, one of the craziest ones is, for example, like this just jumps out at me. You ever heard of Evernote? Yeah. So I've had the co-founder of Evernote on my podcast. And it was someone oh. who I just reached out to. You know, and it's like these things like where it's wild that, you know, you can do that. And then you get in these other positions where like someone – really really famous or someone that you're very much like oh my god like their book is like a bestseller and like very popular and like whatever ends up becoming like one degree of separation away from you uh and you know you're like oh this person was on my podcast and they're really good friends with this person so oh my god like they enjoyed their experience on my podcast so can they connect me with that person right um so yeah it just kind of like grows from there it's kind of like a spider web yeah definitely podcasting especially is is like that because you just talk to people and then you like build relationships because it's like sitting down for an hour or more with a person just having a one-on-one conversation is like so much more than what you would get through like i don't know a youtube video or some other medium i feel like it's a lot more personal and then you can like leverage those connections so i think i think action and creating like proof of like showing that you've done the work is going to be really valuable in the future. Right. So like I talk with like a lot of people and obviously this is like what I discuss on my podcast a lot is the resume is dead. This idea of writing down like, Oh, I went to this college and I studied this and I blah, 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 blah. And I look, you know, whatever. And like putting it all on a resume and telling me what you've done just doesn't really matter anymore. It's not as it's not as powerful because the internet allows you to show what you've done. So for me, I'm like, what did you do? You know, you don't need permission to do anything. No one like you don't need to ask permission from anyone. So are you interested in this topic? Do something. Show me you've done something in that topic. And podcasting is like one way to do that. Right. So like, let's say you wanted to like work with creators or something like that. 
what is a really great way to show like I've thought about this subject. I've developed ideas about this subject. I have, you know, experience and I've thought through a lot of these, you know, different challenges that creators might have is like, I'm going to sit down, I'm going to do a 20 episode podcast series with creators, right? You've done something. A YouTube series is very similar. A book is also one way to do that. It's all about like showing your work. And that's something that I think now I'm going on a tangent, but that's something that I think that colleges aren't really doing a really good job of because if it was me, I would be like, oh, you want to learn about this subject? Go produce something in that sphere and like release it to the world. And you've like, it's so like tangible and it means so much more to a company that might hire you. Yeah, that's extremely relatable for me right now i'm in my i just finished my second week of college and i'm like this is so pointless but you know it's okay (laughs) what do you think of college for people that want to be um i mean there's definitely some jobs that you do but what do you think of college for people like nowadays that can be like creators or in that space what do you think of it I mean, I'm a college dropout, so uh, I think it's – I think <laughs> for a majority – two years. Um, I think for a majority of people, it's not a good investment. I mean, it's just mathematically, it's not a good investment, right? Um, especially today. Like, yeah, absolutely. If you're going to be like – there's certain there's certain career paths in which you still have to answer to someone. Like, you, there's still, like, gatekeepers by like lawyers, doctors, like whatever it may be. Like I don't want my doctor to have like learned how to do surgery on YouTube, right? Um, But for a vast majority of professions today, you can learn it all and then go through some sort of process to get credentials, right? Like let's talk about like a welder or something like that, right? Like you need to have some sort of certificate that says – I know how to weld, right? You can learn how to weld on YouTube, practice on some scrap metal, and then show up and take the test that says, great, like you you actually can do it, right? There's just so much free content out there that you can learn how to do anything. The important thing is to like learn how to do something and then test it and, and like practice it, right? Um, and yeah, I just don't think it's like, I don't think it's a good idea for most people. Now, I also think if I do think college does provide some benefits, it can produce a more well-rounded human being, right? Like if you go to school and you take a whole bunch of different classes and you learn about like art history and science and, and creative writing and like business and you, you taste a little bit of everything, I do think, you know, uh, that's really valuable. Not that you can't do that on YouTube as well. Um, but I often do wish that I could go back to college now and be in the same scenario and essentially have complete control over what I do with my time. But like my food is paid for and there's like libraries and like, you know, technically I have to go to classes, but like, fuck that. And, you know, I can just do whatever I want to do. Like that would be amazing because it, you know, there is a lot of energy on college campuses and, and you know, using that energy to start a business or to do something interesting, I think would be a much more valuable way of spending college than like going to class with a hundred other people and listening to some, you know, 
guy talk about whatever. Yeah. Talk about math that you will never use. Or yeah. Writing. Or in like two years, <laughs> you're gonna have an app that does it for you. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's it's definitely different than it was, and like I think a lot of like you were saying earlier, a lot of jobs you just don't need a degree, and the cost of living in college is like you're essentially paying tuition to live there but then you have to take classes as well but it's like you could pay that somewhere else like use not to the mention same that you're going in debt to live yeah exactly yeah the big thing it's is like, you're going in debt. you're using the same yeah and then you're out and you don't have you have negative net worth and then you're just like stuck there with with no money and then probably, I mean, the average starting salary of most colleges is like forty thousand. Like it's not even that good unless you're going to like Harvard or Columbia or something. Yeah. So okay, that's a good caveat. Is that if you're going to some of these like top five schools, I think the network is worth it. I think yeah. the network is worth it. And then there's just also this concept of borrowing credibility, right? And you being able to say, like, I went to Harvard, you are borrowing credibility. Like, um, there's um there's a brewery here in Cincinnati called Ryan Geist, which I love. Um uh they just do everything right. But it was very funny because there was a guy who I had a friend who worked there, and he was telling me about one of his coworkers, and he showed up at the the interview and they were like, um, it says here you went to Harvard Law School. And he said, yeah, you know, I, I graduated from Harvard Law School, uh, but through the process I realized I did not want to be a lawyer. And they were like, great, you're hired. And they're like, we don't, we don't quite know what you're going to do yet, but, like, you having gone through Harvard Law School and the fact that you had, like, the – I don't know what to call it – to go through that, uh, we'll find you something and we can – we're pretty sure that you're going to be able to, like, do it right so you can like borrow credibility from the fact that you went to this institution and people do this with companies as well right like people say like oh i was worked at apple or you know you see this a lot on like websites of like have been featured in blah 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 whatever that's borrowing credibility so if you're you know if you can go to like yale or harvard or one of those schools uh do it uh because because the network will be worth it as well like the people that you're going to meet there um are going to do something interesting, most likely, and it's good to know those people. Yeah, that's so true. That's something that most people, I don't think, really think about applying to college because I like just went through that process, and it's like most people think about either like the type of like the thing they want to study, which is mm, arguably unimportant for the majority of people because most people are just going to business. Um, but, like, a lot of people don't think about the people that you're going to meet and the connections you're going to make. Like, I heard something the other day, and the guy was talking about how if, like you were saying, you go to one of the, like, the, the Ivies or one of those top colleges, you're going to meet a lot of people that are going to do good things, and then you're going to have all those connections out of that. That's, like, pretty much what you were saying, right? Yeah, and not to mention alumni networks, right? Like, there's... 
I don't know, like a bunch of people who went to Harvard who've done really interesting things and you have that. It's like it's like a community, right? It's like a closed community that you have access to and you can say, hey, uh, you went to Harvard. I went to Harvard. Uh, let's, you know, whatever. Um, but also like, yeah, I think it's it's absolutely criminal that we ask 17 year olds to sign on a dotted piece of paper that they're willing to take on a hundred thousand dollars of debt which like i'm sorry I, I hope you don't take offense to this but scientifically your brain has not fully developed yet right <laughs> and like it, it's it's mind-boggling that we're not just like asking people to make that decision but we're guilting in many ways these kids to to make that decision when you haven't quite yet understood what that decision means and i remember man like i'm i know i'm I, i'm getting older uh it's crazy that you know at one point i was like your age and you know having these kind of conversations but like like i remember that pressure of like feeling like i would be a loser if i said no to going to college right so you're not even sometimes that like, kids aren't even doing it because they think it's the best decision for them it's like well Joe and and Jamie and you know Stacy are going so like fuck I have to go too right um and like a student loan debt you cannot forgive even if you die like how mind-bogglingly insane is that is that if you get hit by a car your parents are going to have to take on that that debt uh and then you go out into the real world and you are risk averse because you have that debt and you're like, oh, I have to get like whatever shitty job shows up first because I have all these loans to pay uh, and it can just squeeze the creativity and the risk um, ability that you might have because like now's your time to be risky and to just just take massive swings at whatever comes your way. And and, you know, you get out of college and you're like, well, I'd really like to go and like try this idea or work for this startup that might fail in three months. But you know, it's a really interesting topic for me, but I got to go get this job at this shitty accounting firm because I got to pay for my loans somehow. Right. So that's my concern. It's I'm not I don't so much dislike college. Like I'm a very big fan of education and, and, and learning and being in that environment and the energy is so amazing. But you kind of got to weigh the is taking on all these negatives worth, you know, uh, what I could get out of it. Sorry, I went on a tangent right. and a rant there. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's – I appreciate hearing that. That's a lot of, like, I don't know, what I've been thinking about recently. Just, like, I don't know. It's it's interesting how college is because it's, like, you can either, like, go all in with college or use it as a time, like, if you have to pay. Um, like it, Or if you don't have to pay. Like, if your parents have enough money for you. a lot. That's what a lot of people do. But – yeah, if no, your parents can really pay for weird. college, I would take it, right? Because then yeah, you're right. like sick, four years, like let's go. Uh, but I would, yeah. I would say is like that's my thing now is looking back on it, I would. There's a very high possibility that if I were to go to college right now, here's what I would do. Number one, I'd go to whatever fucking class I wanted to, whether they're in my major. I'm allowed to go in there or whatever. I would sneak in there. If I was curious about it, I'd go there, right? The other thing, I would be trying to connect with any professor that I thought was interesting. Like if they had done something interesting, I would be trying to hit them up, 
go to their office hours. Hey, what do you do? Blah, 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 whatever. You know, just try to like learn from them. The third thing is I would very likely not go to any classes that I really did not want to go to uh, unless I had to like maintain some like I'd literally keep the bare minimum grade and I'll be working on stuff like I'll be building businesses or I'll be shipping things or whatever it may be or going to like meet companies and like, you know, what I mean, just like like taking massive action. I think if I were to personally be in college right now, that's what I would do. Um, and if you're listening to this and you're in college right now and you drop out and your parents ask why and you said, I heard this crazy kid on a podcast, uh, do not send your parents on me. Uh, this is not financial <laughs> advice. <laughs> yeah. One thing that I heard you mention earlier is like that social scene of having a lot of people that are your age and are more or less similar to you to be around. How have you like found that with, I mean, I don't know really how much you've traveled, um, with remote work and digital nomadism and stuff like that. I don't know how much you've spent in different countries, but how have you found like socializing? Has that been like isolating at all? It can be, um, but the internet's incredible in that, right? Like every, you search like digital nomads in Mexico city and there's like a group with like 300 people. Um, so that's a way also with like, um, the interesting thing is like digital nomadism when you enter that lifestyle the first year or two can be lonely because everyone's constantly leaving and coming in right so you might like meet someone and you're like oh this is a really cool person i really enjoy hanging out with them and in three days they leave so that can be a bit frustrating can make you feel lonely but what i've found is that if you can get past that stage and you know you don't quit because you're feeling lonely and you've been doing it for like two or three years you end up building enough of a group of people that there's always someone in the location you're at that you know from a past location or there's someone that you get along with really well and you're like hey that was really fun like i know you're going here 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 but like is there any place that we cross over again and you know you end up kind of like scheduling going to other places because your friends are going to be there um, the other thing, the other phenomenon that we've noticed, and I talk about this a lot with my wife and my friends is dig digital nomads go deep fast because they know there's a ticking clock to when that friendship th not ends, but will have to be put on pause in some ways because they're going to leave. Right. And of course you can always talk to them online or whatever, but they're leaving. So, you know, you have a ticking clock to go deep and to learn and find out about that person and, and see if that's someone that you want to have like a long-term relationship with. So it's totally common to meet someone today and then tomorrow be talking about like, wow, what is your relationship with your parents? And you know what, in like really go deep, really, really fast. And I've actually found that it's been easier for me to make these kind of like really strong friendships very quickly because of that, because otherwise in like, normal society quote unquote that sounds so aggressive but you you play this dance of like oh how's it going blah 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 what do you do for work and you know and you that that um that period of the relationship stretches if that makes sense while when you're a digital nomad it gets condensed um so yeah that's really interesting that does make a lot of sense though because you're 
how long would you say like the average uh duration of like a stay for most people is because it's like it does seem like you would be kind of on that time crunch like you were saying yeah so um it really depends on the person uh what they're doing what stage they're in so usually people will start out traveling very quickly right like they'll be switching destinations like every two weeks or something like that but then um you know, people eventually slow down usually. So for my wife and I, we found like three to six months is how long we like to stay in a place. Um, anything less than that, it's like really hard to like develop routines and like find out about the place while also like working and running a business and like whatever. Um, now, you know, I what I really like is having these like sort of stages. Like I said, I like to live in sprints. So, you know, go and set up shop somewhere for like six months and hang out there and then have like a month or two of like really fast paced travel and then go and set up shop somewhere again for like six months and take it easy and maybe use it as a home base and go on like a weekend trip or something like that. And then have another period where you like go, 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 like seeing a lot of places Um, that to me, I really like is like having that sort of like cadence to it. Yeah, that sounds like a good way to do it. Where are some of the places that you've been that you've liked, especially? Yeah, I mean, the last two years, I've spent a lot of time in Mexico. So um, I've really enjoyed it there. Uh, Mexico City is a really great city. We spent quite a bit of time in Puerto Vallarta, which is really fun. Um, Oaxaca in Mexico is also another cool city. Uh, out, Other than that, um, Spain has always been a favorite. Barcelona. Um, Budapest is one of my favorite cities in the world. Uh, I've spent quite a bit of time there. Um, and we spend a lot of time in Bulgaria because obviously that's where I'm from, but also, uh, it's just actually like a really great place for digital nomads because, uh, the quality of life is really high if you're earning like dollars or euros, uh, and the lifestyle is nice. Um, obviously a lot of people love Thailand. I haven't spent as much time in Thailand as a lot of other people have. But, you know, there's a really big community there. Uh, so I would say those are like my top would be. Yeah, like Spain, Mexico, Bulgaria, Budapest. Um, and then in January, we're most likely the decision isn't final yet, but like, like let's put it like 90 percent certainty. That we're actually going to Portugal, which is another place that I've really enjoyed. Uh, but this time we're going to, we spent like a month in Porto, which is in the north. And this time we're going to be setting up shop in Lisbon, which is like the capital and, and a bit further south. That's cool. That sounds awesome. How do you like choose your locations? Um, just depends on like what we're feeling. Um, if there's Fair a community enough. there that impacts uh a lot as well like are do we are we gonna have friends there that's definitely uh something that we put weight on uh but it, it, it's just about like what are we into like how are we feeling what do we want to experience like it's a good example uh our plan was to go down to mexico in january uh and actually set up shop there for a while maybe get a residency and afterwards, like my wife and I just kind of talked about it and like, you know, we've been to Mexico for the, like the last two years and I'm kind of Mexicoed out, if that makes sense. And I really miss Europe and I want to spend some more time there. So we were like, OK, we're not feeling Mexico. Nothing wrong with Mexico. Like we really, really enjoy and like really love Mexico. But like we've been there quite a bit and I'm, we're really missing that European lifestyle. So great. 
Europe it is, right? Now, when you go to Europe, you're like, okay, well, where in Europe do you go? What are the things that are important to you? Uh, you know, like, what kind of weather do you want? Um, what other places do you want to visit around there? Who are the people that you want to hang out with? And then you just kind of, like, find the overlap of all of those things uh, as, like, the best option for you. That's really cool. That sounds awesome, just being able to, like, almost engineer your yeah living situation. It You know, it is awesome, but it's also, like, an extra thing to think about. Um, that is fair. So it can be a bit taxing sometimes because, like, you constantly have to, like, make these decisions. Like, most people are like, well, I live here and, like, my apartment's there. So I don't really need to think about every three months where am I living and, like, finding an apartment every three months. And, uh, well, and, like, where's the grocery store here? And, like, what is my routine going to be like here? And so this isn't to say, like, I'm not, you know, obviously, like, I love the life that I lead. That's the reason why I lead it. Um, and you kind of have to take those negatives, uh, you just have to know about them, right? It's not all roses and rainbows. It comes with its own challenges, but I think the pros outweigh the cons. Yeah, definitely. And I feel like a lot of the, I'm not, I don't know about a lot of them. Definitely some of the cons are definitely just like varying person to person. Cause like some of that stuff sounds like it would suit some people, but not others. And it's like, it might work for them. Well, it might, like, cause some other people to, like, really struggle mentally at least. Yeah, and it's also, like, how much do you do it, right? Like, the first couple of times, it's, like, fun and exciting. And it's, like, oh, this isn't a con. This is, like, I actually really enjoy that. But, like, doing it for, like, five years straight can get tiring. But, you know, people get um, – people find solutions. Like, and especially now, there's such – the infrastructure for this lifestyle is just so much better developed than what it was even when I got started. Um, like some of the things that are out there now, I was like, what the fuck was this when I was like, you know, just getting started. Sorry. I don't know if you can swear in your podcast. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, but yeah, like people will develop strategies to deal with it. Like I have a friend who has a virtual assistant who finds him Airbnbs. Like she's been given, uh, you know, within these price ranges, it must have these uh, qualities. It must be this close to a gym and like whatever and go do the research and give me three options and I'll pick one of them. That's really cool. That's getting a virtual assistant is like not something most people would think of unless you've read the four hour work week. <laughs> I feel like that's yeah, I don't know. I've never hack. heard of what. It's such a huge hack and you can get so many like of these admin things out of the way. Um, and like that's the benefit of money, right? Because money can solve problems and reduce stresses that you just don't want to deal with, right? Like people say like money doesn't buy happiness. It's true, but it can really kind of solve some of those base like annoyances that you maybe don't want to deal with or can remove stress um, that a lot of like people have to carry. And then like it can buy these conveniences, right? Of you can buy back your time from these admin responsibilities that like you usually have to do as like a normal human. And you're like, no, I'm just going to pay for someone else to deal with those responsibilities for me uh, if I don't enjoy dealing with them. And it's crazy that you can get someone to help you with those things for like less than people spend on coffee per month um, and get like very highly educated people uh, 
and, you know, pay them very well for where they live. And, and I'm not talking about like, you know, a lot of people like to use these examples of like people in the Philippines that you pay $5 an hour. Like I don't necessarily support that. But, you know, there's people in Eastern Europe that if you pay them 15 bucks an hour, it's like way more money that they could make working a regular job in their country. Uh, and, you know, they can help you with these things. They have like college degrees. So, um, yeah, I think it's I think it's crazy. Yeah, definitely. How do you find virtual assistants? Oh, man. I mean, there's like Google it. There's like <laughs> a thousand websites where you can hire virtual assistants and now they're even getting like more specialized to where, uh, you know, like some people really enjoy working with a specific person from a specific culture because they vibe well with that culture. Right. Uh, or they want someone who like one of the issues, if like you live in the United States a lot and you have virtual assistants, in the Philippines, and it's someone that you want to have like zoom calls with, or, you know, you want to have a more synchronous relationship with them. Uh, that's really hard, but okay. That's why, you know, people hire uh, folks from Eastern Europe because there's a healthier overlap of time zones. So there's like a million places now to find virtual assistants. And when you figure out what type of person you work with best, you can kind of like narrow it in on like a few, a few specific ones that specialize in that. Yeah, that's really interesting. How much experience have you had with hiring virtual assistants? Uh, you know, it, quite a bit. I wouldn't say I'm like the most experienced because there's some people who have like entire armies of virtual assistants. But like, yeah. you know, I used to be the head of remote at a digital agency. So we had like uh, over a dozen uh, team members and uh, quite a few virtual assistants that were spread out over like 12 time zones. So I've done it for myself in the past and I've also done it for businesses that I've worked on before, but I do have most of my experience, I'd say, in, in working with virtual assistants and other team members and hiring and firing from you know being in a digital agency for uh, quite a few years. Uh, so yeah, I'd say you know somewhere in the, in the middle of experience. Yeah. Have you ever had any any bad experiences with them? Yeah, sure. I mean, you know, it's um I like this idea of like hire slow, fire fast, right? So usually I try to like test people and like give them a project and see how we work together and sometimes like you work together with someone on a project and you're like, yeah, this is not going to work, right? For whatever reason. Um, and then, you know, if, if someone is just not working out, I prefer to let them go as soon as possible so that they can have the chance to go on and find a place that is their right fit. Because otherwise I just feel like it's like, if it's not working for me, it's probably not working for them either. Um, and that's no way to exist. Right. And so I, you know, would rather just let them go to find a better fit somewhere else. Um, and of course, like assist in whatever way I can for them to, to, to find that fit. Uh, as long as they weren't like, a, just like, I don't know. Awful. Um, yeah, but yeah. Yeah. That's definitely a good philosophy with that. I think I've read that in the four hour work week as well, <laughs> but 
it's yeah it's a really interesting i feel like i wouldn't think about it as like not holding them back as well as not holding you back which is very valid and is a good way to think about it so we're getting to the end of the time i kind of want to keep it reasonably short about an hour i always ask my guests i heard this somewhere and so what is one thing that you would recommend everyone buy that is under a hundred dollars okay i'll give you two options um books have been really valuable in my life like i said the return on investment like a seven dollar purchase can be fucking huge so there's a few books that jump out to me that i think are really really important and certainly add up to less than a hundred dollars that is um the four hour work week which you just mentioned because it can reframe your mindset in some ways like a lot of like the 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 actionable tactics don't really work anymore because the book was written like you know 15 years ago uh but the the philosophy i think if you've never been introduced to this world before the philosophy can be game changing so i'd say that book uh, How to Make Friends and Influence People by Dale Carnegie is like a must read. Like if you've never read that book, you should read it yesterday. Um, the Almanac of Naval Ravikant is one of the highest leverage books that I think uh, you can get access to right now. Eric Jorgensen, who is uh, the author of that of that book, uh, has been on my podcast. And it's I mean, it's I've gifted that book more than any other book, most likely. Um and then I think like Rich Dad, Poor Dad is another really good book, which, again, uh, I would kind of list in the same way as I would list uh, the 4-Hour Workweek. Um, and then the other thing that I will say is under $100, I'm a big fan of communities and buying access to communities because it's a way to pass a filter. When people put money up for something – they go through a filter of saying this is something that's important enough to me that I am willing to front cash for it, right? And get access to whatever's in this community. And I would do it if you're interested in something, right? Like if you're interested in like starting a podcast and having like a really high value podcast, buying access to a community of other podcasters or creators can have a huge ROI, not just from like if they have content in there or whatever, but the relationships that you can form there and and the mentors that you can find can be hugely beneficial to your own journey. So whatever it is that you're interested in or curious about, I think spending the $100 to buy access to a community like that uh, can have a really big ROI as long as you put the work in it, right? Like y- you get out what you put in And, uh, so I think if you were, you know, like, Hey, I'm very curious about this topic, or I really want to learn about this thing, find the community, get access to it and like put time into it. And, uh, I think that can have a really high, high, uh, ROI. Those are both really good, really good suggestions or recommendations. I like both of those. All right. Well, thanks for being on the podcast. Do you want to plug your socials or your, uh, anything else, any projects you're working on? Yeah, thanks so much, Owen. This has been fun. Uh, you're you're very good at this. Uh, you should definitely keep it going. Thank um, you. As far as socials, I'm at Mitkoka almost everywhere. That's M I T K O K A. Uh, so find me on Twitter or or Instagram or TikTok, whatever. 
Um, I'm most active on, on Twitter and LinkedIn. Um, and But I'm, we're putting out quite a bit of content now starting on, on TikTok and, and Instagram. Uh, so find me there. And then if these topics are interesting to you, if you are interested in, you know, the future of work and business and, and you'd like to hear some more conversations like this uh, or the whole digital nomad lifestyle, something you're interested in, uh, definitely check out my podcast. Uh, just Google for that remote life or you can find it on Spotify or anywhere else you might listen to podcasts. Awesome. Well, thanks for being on the episode. Sure thing, man. Thanks again to Mikko for being on the episode. I thought it was a really great episode. So if you have any ideas for future guests, please leave them in a review or hit me up on Twitter or Instagram. Also remember to leave a review and subscribe since it helps me out a ton and I can keep making the podcast. Thanks for listening.